are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today we have with us in the studio Marianne Dessard. Marianne is a singer, performer, producer, and now a writer. We'll be right back with Marianne, but first let's talk about In a Slump. So last week I felt like I was doing fantastic and this week I don't know what's happening. I was feeling a little off and now I am down. And I feel in a slump. I don't want to go anywhere or do anything or get out of bed. I am blaming it on the weather because that's more convenient than thinking about why I might be in a slump. I know I'm having some grief from leaving my job and my breakup and life in general, but I don't, I don't want to be in a slump. I was feeling so good. And that's what I've been thinking about is depression, this up and down And I can have periods of weeks and months at a time where I'm up and then suddenly just kind of fall into a slump. So I looked up depression and slumps and I found an article from Bustle. This is Feel a Depression Episode Coming On. Here are 10 Things You Can Do to Help Yourself by J.P. Thorpe. The reality of depression is that rather than being a constant, it typically ebbs and flows. The patches of time where you feel seriously down are known as depressive episodes. That's when depression really gets on top of you. When you can't get out of bed and the sadness, blackness, and lack of hope seem inescapable. The good news is that they often pass relatively quickly and with little experience. It's actually pretty easy to feel them coming on. If you're starting to feel negative thoughts, encroach on your brain, and stop being able to enjoy things, then you know that bad times are coming. This early warning phase can actually present opportunities to help yourself prepare for forthcoming depression. So these are some of the suggestions. Make an appointment with a professional. Give yourself reasons to leave the house. Eat more fish. They say omega-3s, which are found in fatty, oily fish, are believed to have a positive impact on mood. Up your exercise game. Tell people close to you. Start monitoring your sleep and wakefulness. Stock up on products that support your well-being. Schedule something you'll look forward to in the near future. Plan time for relaxing self-care and try to identify your triggers. Of that whole list, I know that I've been monitoring my sleep and wakefulness and it's all out of sorts. I think some of that is just being 40 and some of that is God knows what. But the other things are, are things, I, I mean, I, could, I am thinking about making an appointment with a professional. That's just something I'd like to do. And actually, I want to go with my mom because we're trying to figure out how to live together with her living in my backyard and building a house here. And that's kind of more stressful for both of us than we anticipated. So of all of those things, hopefully one of them can help you if you're going through a slump. I know that the slump has been coming on for a while and I kind of want to get to it before it gets bad. So that's my thoughts for this week. Thank you all and much love. Today we have with us in the studio Marianne Dussard. Marianne is a singer, performer, producer, and now a writer. Hello, Marianne. Welcome to the Depression Center. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. So what's new with you? Well, I just finished a book. It took me about four years to write. 
and it's coming out. It's going to be available for pre-orders starting right now. Uh, Not Me, the title of my book, and it's available as pre-orders as a book, audiobook, and ebook also. I'm doing an Indiegogo funding campaign, and you can get information about that from my Facebook page. or So they can buy it through your page or on Amazon? On or... Indiegogo for now. On Indiegogo. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and then that's going to run for about a month, and then it's going to be available on Amazon. All right, great. And Kindle things and whatever. <laughs> the 101 ways people can get books yeah. these days. <laughs> wow. And the book deals with the years of my living Tucson, and moving to Europe. So, labor of love. Not me. Yes. It, it, it was the cat, not me, for a while, but I dropped the cat. And what inspired the title, if I can ask? <laughs> <laughs> well, the cat, not me, is the third album that I recorded. And the stories or the songs, the lyrics, the themes in the album were, was, were something I wanted to develop also in English, because the Cat Not Me, despite its English title, is actually a bunch of songs in French, which is a very convenient way of hiding. So I figured, you know what, I'm going to take everything that's in between those lines of those songs and write it up, make a book out of it in English, so I won't be able to hide anymore what's all the dark secrets that are on those songs. But then I ended up dropping the cat out of the title and Not Me sounded really good until the hashtag Me Too. And then then I wasn't sure if I should keep the title anymore. Yeah, that was my inspiration for doing this show was just to stop hiding. Oh, good. All right. I relate to that It's a a powerful... um, medicine actually to just take the veils out and lift up some of the fog if we want to keep going on that poetic you know fakey poetic imagery but yeah definitely that's exactly what it is it takes courage and it takes falling down and coming back up so marianne tell us the story of your depression the book is basically the story of depression and how i got out of it but depression that was brought on by a lot of touring. As a musician, you are on the road in conditions that are definitely not luxurious. And when you start and you have offers, you take them all. And you end up spending six months, a year, four years on the road, making some sort of a home on the road wherever you happen to plop down your your little suitcase, and it takes a toll. It takes a physical toll. You're not able to keep up with your good, healthy practices, your connections with friends, home, despite always being connected on whatever, social media. It's not the same thing. So it's disorientating and it's exhausting. And of course, the byproduct of that is going to be depression, whether that's named right away or that happens to become a realization almost too late. So to me, the cost of touring a lot and releasing a lot of music very quickly was that I came back to Tucson after about four years, three albums, and entered my house and saw my cat and went, who is that? <laughs> and my cat said pretty much the same thing. It's like, who are you? <laughs> what is this thing? You know, I've been doing fine all this time. 
it hits hard on the road. A lot of musicians will, well, no, actually it depends. Some musicians are really well equipped for that, whether they're younger or they just have a better tolerance for alcohol or partying or something, or, uh, you know, other ways of dealing with it. But in my own personal case, drinking definitely did not help. So I didn't do that very much. And then I tried keeping up a routine of exercising, getting out of the door at before anybody was up at 7 a.m., you know, jog around the block, or if it was too snowy or cold outside in Germany somewhere, you're in a hotel, there are staircases. So I really got excited about doing staircases for like half hour, hoping nobody would like run into me. Nobody uses staircases in hotels anymore, so it's fine. So it helps, but the the funny thing about that I realized also is that the the healthier I was trying to get, uh, the more isolated I would become because nobody in my band cared about being on my schedule, on my self-caring schedule. So basically, that even drew a a wider wedge in terms of personal connection. So it, it's a, it's a roller coaster in itself. Being on tour, being a musician, you're on stage. Everybody, your five or six fans that showed up totally adore you, and then you get back to your hotel room and you're by yourself. And there's uh, some weird thing on TV about animals in German or Swedish or whatever or Chinese, um, and that's it. Yeah, um, there are ways out of it. I mean. You know, me wanting so much to tour as much as possible. Of course, I was not able. I didn't know to turn down an offer. If somebody offered me to do a tour in China, I'd take a train and I'd do it the hard way. I'd take the Trans-Siberian and show up and be completely exhausted. But, I mean, there's a sense of adventure and it just keeps you going, going, going until you get back home and... You have to deal with all the stuff you didn't deal with on tour. So the book is about the aftermath of that, finding myself in Tucson and going, wow, if I don't react now, if I don't find a way out of this, this is not going to end pretty. So the only thing I knew to save myself was basically just get out of Tucson after 19 years here, just did a bunch of yard sale and got out of town. And uh, I went back to Europe with a cat and a couple of suitcases. But the funny thing is, um, you know, it took about a year to actually get back on my feet out there. And I stopped touring and was pretty much on a sabbatical from making music or being a performer. And I taught yoga and I studied quite a bit uh, Buddhist philosophy through the teacher training and did a lot of meditation. And that definitely helped and not being under pressure of having to be a performer or be anything else than just a great teacher, which was fun. I liked it. Uh, and then little by little, I reintroduced some of the you know, favorites of mine, touring and recording and being under that sort of uh, yeah pressure. It, it, being a musician is a fantastic uh, life. Uh, I just wonder how some of my friends, uh, people I've toured with, over the years, are still able to spend most of their year on the road. And I check back with them when I come back to Tucson. It's like, so do you got a girlfriend? How's your house doing? Do you still have a pet? Is it alive? You know, what about your lizard? And they're like, yeah, I don't know. 
you know, I've only spent like two months out of the year here. So yeah. And I mean, the only thing I can give them is a copy of my book and go, well, I hope that never happens to you. Finding yourself in a hotel room and just wanting to like shut the doors and not ever come out again. What else do I have to say about life on the road? It's the best sort of life. I miss it very much, but I don't do it. Oh, as one one trick I tried to make life on the road healthy was to actually not tour with guys. It was about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I actually wrangled up a group of girls from Tucson and we hit the road. And yeah, it was it was a little kinder, definitely. There was a very sweet moment in Vienna. We had a couple of days off in a really cool hotel in the old part of town. And one of the girls went out and bought some beauty masks, little pouches, samples, and gave everybody in the band a beauty mask. And I was just amazed because, of course, that was like that was the first tour where anybody was... I mean, none of the guys could have done that. I have that kind of instinct for self-care. Yeah, it was a really interesting way to tour. And I, of course it was different. It was a different vibe and nobody was drinking as much or partying as much or, you know, needing to show off that much how tough you can be on the road. And um, But yeah, and the tour after that, it was a combination. We had guys and girls. So it's all in basically in balance, I think. Well, thanks so much for your story. I think there yeah. are a lot of things in there that are sort of classic things that will create depression. I've thought over the years, and we've we've heard recently about people killing themselves who were in bands and performers and um, actors. There's been kind of a spate of it of really famous, wonderful people who are just gone. And I always wonder, how do they do it anyway? Well, how do you do anything? You know, it doesn't have to be a creative job or a public job. How do you do it anyway? If you have that deep well of depression, I don't know. I mean, I keep thinking that the jobs we do, the kind of public service we provide is nothing special in terms of dynamics of how well you you work or how you have to balance that with the 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 balance is difficult because we live and breathe that stuff i mean we're not alive unless we do create whether it's writing a book whether it's making music being on the road i i often think i'd be very very depressed if i wasn't doing that kind of work if i wasn't making my art Writing the book was a way out also because it was, again, another project where I could just throw myself entirely with a beginning, a middle, and an end four years later. So any time I can complete a project that's bigger than me and that might be handed out to the world and help somebody in some way, then, oh God, it's better than going to any shrink, which... It's kind of fun, but last time I went to a shrink, I was like, you know what? I need your help because I'm going to write a book about this. So just to check, I'm not going crazy here. <laughs> and he smiled. It, it does seem, though, that the special position that musicians are in is that you go off on this journey, and so much of it is isolating. You're with your band members, 
but there's being going from I've traveled a lot and when there comes a moment where you're like not another hotel <laughs> not another yeah. bus station <laughs> there used to be a <laughs> I used to be fine going over bridges and then there was a tour in Italy where um, you're coasting next to uh, near to in the vicinity of Genoa uh, the city and there is a stretch of many miles where it's bridge after tunnel after bridge after tunnel and you're on the side of the uh, the sea and it's i remember that that one tour where we went through this twice on the way in and out of italy and both times i was so terrorized and in tears the entire time we were going through tunnel and bridges tunnel and bridges and I'm fine with tunnel and bridges now, but I know at the time that I was so drained, so exhausted from touring that I could not stand on another bridge without freaking out and thinking we'd be falling in. <laughs> That's like some kind of metaphor. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm still wondering what off, but it was powerful. I know that, you know, when I go through these lists of things that might help people, so many of them don't fit that lifestyle unless you really make a choice to exercise, like going up and down staircases at a hotel because it's cold out or you you can't, you know, the nice thing about my life right now is I have a gym membership and I have a group, close group of friends and I see people all the time. And even though depression comes over me, I've set up some routine things to get me out of the house and to, to connect because so much of it is that disconnect that our culture is perfectly designed to do, especially American culture. It's like, if you want to be disconnected and isolated and never leave your house, you can just get on Amazon and stay home. <laughs> mm -hmm. Very true. So it seems like that kind of travel would be hard to do the self-care. Well, there's also one thing is that every time you get on stage, you get such a rush of adrenaline that you, you know this becomes part of your need. It's a drug. It's adrenaline is something that definitely will keep you going. And if you don't have it, it will be thoroughly missed for sure. It almost forces you into sort of like high highs and then yeah. relax. And then... Yeah, it does. I mean, on the chemical <laughs> level, on the bodily, chemically, your body is altered by that much adrenaline every night. Does it blow out your adrenals or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm on thyroid medication now. Wow. I don't know. I want to blame it on touring, but probably not. <laughs> so so anything else about being a musician that might be surprising to like somebody sitting at home listening? I don't know. I'm, I'm the strangest kind of musician because I basically just sing and I've never learned any instrument. If people ask me, are you a musician? I, I guess it's like saying, are you from... Paris people ask you or guess that you're French you're like yeah yeah I'm from Paris that's like the generic term I'm not I'm from a small village but was gonna know about that I'm not a musician I'm a musician I'm so many other things I can make movies with my music I can write the lyrics to my music I can write a book based on the lyrics of my songs I don't know. It's like people who open up their fridge and go, what am I going to be cooking tonight? What's in the fridge? All right, let's just make up something with what's there. And as you get older, you just put more things in your fridge and, you know, you have at least a few more spices every year that you can work with. So the palate gets bigger. So musician, I'm not. No. I couldn't tell you the name of chords and keys. 
Well, that's like, I'm an artist, but I always say I'm an artist who doesn't make art and I'm a performer who does not perform because I'm a performance artist who does not get on stage. You know, my performance would be something like this, just talking with someone or taking a very long walk for six months or, you know, like my performances are not performances. So when someone says you're an artist, I'm like, yes, I'm a professional artist. I do draw and paint, but what I really do as an artist is my favorite thing are stories. So it's all storytelling. Yeah, I agree. I'm, so I'm, I'm a storyteller, I guess, or a story offer, like offer a space for a story. Yeah. I'm finding that more more and more now that I've written a book, which I've also adapted for the stage. So it all comes around, but it is in storytelling or communicating. Like you want to be razor sharp on how you communicate, what you communicate to people, what you give to people. Uh, it's not enough to have the tools, you know, it's like, I guess like depression, okay, fine, you know how to cure it. Once you've cured it, what do you do? What's beyond that? And that should never be lost. And it's something that I had an inkling for, but, you know, studying, training to be a teacher, a yoga teacher, and thinking a lot about that and doing a lot of meditation, you're like, yeah, everything passes, fine. So what do we do now with all this calm and serenity? That is the only question. It's like, how do you communicate and what do you communicate? All hell for no depression, for sure. Just because there's so many other things to think about. Mm -hmm. And other people to think about, you know? Yeah. I always feel that depression is something to lean into, learn from, and then offer something back. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it, for sure. Although I can think of a few books from the 19th century where you had some really depressed character, and that's who I was. It was beautiful. I don't know why I'm saying that. been listening to a lot of audiobooks. <laughs> What's on your book list this week? <laughs> oh, Jane Austen. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, my God. And I was just listening to... Um, James Joyce. I'm in love with that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading Solomon Rushdie's Satanic Verses right now. He's such a beautiful writer. He writes such beautiful things. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever read anything he's done. Hmm. Yeah, but James Joyce as an audiobook, as you're uh, painting or tiling or grouting your place, oh boy, <laughs> that is fun. Are you, is this a house here in Tucson that you're working on? Yeah, renovating a house. Oh. I'm a snowbird. Yeah, I was going to say, are you back to Tucson? or Just, just as a snowbird. Just, yeah. yeah, it took me a while to figure that balance, actually. But Tucson in the winter is much better than England in the winter. So uh, I'm going to trade next month. I'll go back to England. Yeah. There's still water there. Kind of matters. I know. <laughs> us crazy people in the desert we were talking before the show about drinking up the Colorado River yeah we're done yeah mm -hmm. now we probably should start going for the Michigan lakes or something <laughs> pipe them down over the mountains yeah. <laughs> well, we got plenty of water in England so um, it's a little salty but we can, <laughs> I can bring a bucket next time <laughs> start exporting water from England <laughs> talk about depression seriously Look at the state of the world. What do you do? Oh. Better not get depressed. 
Well, one of my guests said, if you're not depressed, you might not be paying attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's another word for it. Um, I'm not sure what it would be, but flabbergasted, maybe. <laughs> I try not to get too worried. Just the state of the world. Just I do worry. Yeah, I do. I try not to worry, but I have moments when I think we're headed to something not good, like on a big scale. And then other times when I think we've, we we're funny animals, we manage to work our way out of things more than you would ever expect. Uh, but when it comes to water in the desert, I don't know. I don't know. I think that self-maintenance, you know, I suppose if we've spent our lives considering the fate of our human bodies, that we're definitely headed to something pretty dramatic, which is death at the end. It's like, all right, what do we do about it? Do we get depressed about it? Or do we just kind of fight on, try to make the best out of it? There is no way of saying what's going to happen with this state of the world, whether this earth is even going to be, you know, hanging around long enough for us to see it through. But it's the same thing. You just keep it up. I have a feeling sometimes that worrying about it just doesn't really do much. So do what you can to live a good life and do something for somebody else. I guess that's maybe, you know, how much influence can you have in the world? What does it count for, I guess? I think about that a lot. And then having a good life, just living a good life and not feeling responsible for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Those are wise words. You don't really need to go see a shrink. You're fine. <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to get from that person? You know, this is it. How to be nice to my mom. Uh, okay. Now, <laughs> if you're thinking of it as like a, a you know, joint pedicure where you both yeah. go to like a beauty salon, then totally yeah. fine. It's fine. Yeah. I um, love having her here and there are moments when we're just like, <laughs> and we don't want to, we don't want to be in those patterns. Like how do you break patterns of mm. 45 years? You know? And that she's willing to do that with me. is so sweet. That's great. Yeah. I, I, I was just remembering that where I was, where I grew up, how I grew up going to see a professional psychiatrist, psychologist, etc. was definitely not something you did. There's a lot of cultures and context where that's not an option. You know, you had the priest for that kind of stuff. Yeah, except the one time I went to see a priest, he was really, and I was young, I to, for the communion or something. He was like, so come on, what do you mean? You, is there anything you did that was wrong? And I couldn't think of anything. And he kept quizzing and quizzing and quizzing. Until I was like, well, I think I hit my brother. Is that bad? So we came to an agreement. I, I had done something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't know it. Did he give you some Hail Marys or something? Yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> God. So yeah, I was, I was flawless before I went to see the guy. <laughs> and then somebody told me I was doing something wrong. And I had to pay for it. <laughs> he was the snake in your garden of Eden, huh? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, <laughs> I had to figure out another way because that guy was, I wasn't trusting him or any of his ilks. <laughs> any last thoughts for our listeners? 
That book, Not Me, I've started adapting for the stage, and I'm doing a preview, an actual performance of it in Tucson on the 1st of March, 7 p.m., and that's going to be on South 4th Avenue, 148 South 4th Avenue, right next door to the laundromat, across the street from the Blood Plasma Center. So blood and suds and sweat, because it's actually taking place inside the Tucson Yoga Studio. And uh, it's a performance uh, of the book, a reading, but it's enhanced with a lot of props and toys and and smells also, because I hooked up with Leslie Wood from La Curie, the local Tucson perfume maker, and she created some scents to accompany each chapter. March 1st. All right. Thank you so much for being on the depression session. Thank you for having me. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.